Welcome to Alpha Geek Radio special event coverage. The following interview was held at PAX Prime 2015 with Josh Sawyer, Adam, and Brandon of Obsidian Entertainment. We discussed the awesome Pillars of Eternity and its just-released expansion, The White March Part 1. We're here with Josh as well as Adam and Brandon from uh, Obsidian Entertainment talking about Pillars of Eternity as well as The White March, which is coming out. It's out. It just came out. out. Part one yep. is out. Part <laughs> one just came out. <laughs> We're done. Easy. <laughs> so let me start off with a general question because I'm a huge fan. We kick-started the original game. Um, since that kind of got announced, we've seen a huge explosion kind of in the, the turn-based or uh, kind of role-playing games with the games like uh, Divinity, Original mm-hmm. Sin, Shadowrun, all these. Are we in a big renaissance right now, do you think? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think that, you know, we stopped making sort of isometric real-time with pause games mm-hmm. in the early 2000s because the sort of conventional wisdom from retailers was that no one wanted to buy them. Right. And so that meant that publishers weren't going to make them. And I'm like, well... Well, sure, they're not buying them now because you're not making them, but there was no real proof that we ever saw that that was really true. Right. Um, and we always thought, like, well, we could keep making those. We don't have a problem making these games. They're fun. Um, so I think it took crowdfunding to show that even if it is kind of a niche market, that there is a niche there. There are people that still enjoy these games. Yeah. And they can be made for reasonable amounts of money. So Wasteland 2, Divinity, Shadowrun, like, these are all cool games made on reasonable budgets and I think there's an audience for all that stuff which is really great. Yeah, judging from the Kickstarters I'd yeah, say yeah. there's a pretty <laughs> solid audience for them. Your, the older games that you guys are really well known for, Baldur's Gate, uh, Planescape, those were back-ended by an existing rule set, D&D. Mm-hmm. With Pillars, you kind of had to make it up on your own rule set for it. Is that something that was harder or easier or gave you at least more freedom? Um, I, I've designed a lot of uh, tabletop rule sets. Okay. Um, I do think that it was challenging because it wasn't just you know, it wasn't just like, oh, do whatever you like or think is good because there was such an expectation from the fans about it being deemed like mm. in some ways. So had to have classes, right. had to have attributes, had to have six attributes. <laughs> um, those, those six attributes couldn't def- deviate too much from people's expectations. Right. Um, and we did hybridize... Uh, a lot of stuff like there are elements of fourth edition there are elements of third edition uh, there are elements from a few other games but the goal was to make it feel overall D&D like so that a person who had played the Infinity Engine games and came in would not kind of have a rude awakening and go like wait a minute this doesn't give me the feeling that the Infinity Engine games gave gave me so uh, it was trying to find a way to meet those expectations but give them a, a rule set that we felt was you know, contemporary and good and easy to learn and stuff like that. Excellent. You were really successful, one of the, the you know, obviously most successful uh, Kickstarters out there. And going forward, do you think that's going to be your primary method of, uh, with the games that you, you know, come out with in the future? Or are you going to feel comfortable going back to a more traditional model? Well, I would say that, um, like, we're still making, we're still using traditional funding for right. uh, some of our other games. Like, we're working on Armored Warfare right now, oh, okay. which is kind of a kind of an odd game for Obsidian to be making, but it's a lot of fun um, because that's a tank game, multiplayer tank game, uh, and so that's using traditional sort of publisher funding. Okay. And I do think that for small games like this, 
we won't be looking at other forms of funding, whether it's self-funding if the project is small enough, sure. or crowdfunding of various forms. Um, uh, Fergus is part of the FIG mm. group that was just sort of announced. So I think that I think that crowdfunding is a way that we can finance things. I would be surprised if we uh, only try oh, to do that okay. in the future, though, because we. Our company is almost 200 people now. Oh wow! So we have teams as small as like 20 people, or gotcha. actually even smaller, smaller than that. Than the, that. Pa the Pathfinder yeah. team. We have the Pathfinder card. Right, team, right. And that's a that's a that's real. Yeah, it's maybe 10 people. Wow. So we have to be able to support different funding models and different you know all sorts of stuff. Excellent. With White March Part One just releasing, it added a lot of new features. You added a whole new area, um, and I've seen in uh, different interviews where you've talked about setting pillars as kind of in Euro fantasy, but using that as your base and then you're gonna expand out. Is do you feel that the area that you've added and let me try to look what's the name of the it's in the north. It's the White March. It's, it's the White March. Yeah. The White okay. March. Yeah. <laughs> Clever. Uh, <laughs> do you feel that's getting a little bit more away or are you still really grounded within the Euro fantasy? I still I still think that the White March is still pretty Euro in a okay. lot of ways. Um, I think that if we as we look further ahead toward um, Making a sequel, I think that's probably going to be more in the same way that Baldur's Gate Two was. Sure. You know, you went to to Am to Afkatla, right? And it, it gave a shift that was away from the very European right. sort of setting of the first game. Um, yeah, the White March we really try to model on Icewind Dale. Yeah. Um, just to give that feeling, the look, all that right. sort of stuff. So again, that's still very Euro style. Um, but in the future, I do want to move toward uh, locations that are less European. And uh, just because I think more diversity is interesting, especially when it comes to the environments over 80 hours or 100 sure. hours yeah. or whatever, um, being able to see more <laughs> groups of people, different languages, different cultures is, is interesting. So. Yeah, you met 80 hours. You need to start boxing time yeah. for people to be able to play these games. You're also adding two new companions as well as uh, Soulbound Weapons. For all the features that are coming in this expansion, is this stuff that you had planned on, or is it also based on feedback that you've gotten? It's a lot of it is based on feedback. Like a lot of the stuff that we put into the patch, like the AI features, mm -hmm. the targeting features, things like that, are either based on explicit feedback from people, um, or are us observing them playing, okay. watching Twitch, watching YouTube right. streams, and things like that, and just seeing like, you know, people always seem to miss this, or they don't really understand how this works. Um, so a lot of our work on that has been toward that. With the new content in the White March, a lot of that is stuff where uh, it was either new ideas or it was it were things that we had talked about during base development, but we just didn't have enough time to do. So, you know, I really would have liked to have had a companion for each class. Right, right. We had 11 classes. There just wasn't enough time to write all those characters. Yeah. So for the over the course of the expansions, we'll have more companions Kinda. that cover all those bases. Uh, and monks and rogues were yeah. two classes that didn't have companions. And, and with Zawa, our, yeah. monk, our new monk character, and with the Delva Parrot, who's our rogue character, right. we actually planned to have them, um, like, their, their conception was a long time ago, oh. yeah. uh, way but, before the White March started. Yeah, but we had to we had to abort them really yeah. early. Like, we saw that we weren't going to be able to do Zawa. Right. And then the Devil of Carrick, we like kind of talked about. And we we never some, that was just the name. Uh, and well, we had well, a we portrait. Yeah. yeah, we had a portrait. Oh, yeah, but we didn't get any any further than that. So, 
Um, they were they were from earlier ideas, mm. but they never really got developed much more than that until now. So, and, and maybe that's just happenstance. So those were the two characters that you know you you had developed early on, and then you know weren't able to include in the base game. But they, looking at them from the outside, you go, those are just pretty dark characters that are coming <laughs> in. You're kind of giving like a double punch. What was the inspiration behind those characters? Um, with Zawa, with Zawa, um, you know when we first were conceiving of monks, uh, I think a lot of times in a lot of D and D or D and D like settings, mm-hmm. monks feel like they're in a, they're a strange place. Like, they're not quite Asian, but they're right. kind of still Asian, and they use a lot of those things. So, with our monks, uh, we had conceived of the idea that they were more like um, uh, flagellants who practice mortification of the flesh. Right. Um, and so they had more of a European flavor to them. They still fight unarmed and everything, but they yeah. didn't really have a sort of quasi-Asian body. Yeah. So Zawa was kind of born out of that idea, and he is a very... He, I know he like looks dark because he has scars and everything, right. but he's actually a very funny character. Um, he takes a lot of hallucinogenic drugs, and um, a lot of the things that he says are just they're really they're really funny. And then the devil of Carrick, the devil of Carrick is a dark character, but she also has a very um, biting sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I had said when we were developing these characters, because a lot of the characters in the base game are very serious. Right, right. <laughs> so Adair is lighthearted, but he has kind of a dry humor. Um, a lot of the other companions are very serious yeah. and kind of dumb. And so I said, well, let's let's kind of try to raise, the, especially <laughs> since you're in such a grim area, like so frozen and, and cold, um, you know, even if they do have dark aspects to them, help, you know, add some levity to it because people, it helps break up the tension. Right. And it's people like laughing when they play these games. So. Nice. Excellent. Um, yeah, when we were talking about features, uh, having mained a rogue, it's nice to see the feature of that being able to solo stealth. Yeah, a lot, Instead of, of, a lot of people ask about like, that. Yeah. If you guys stay visible, I'm off my own. <laughs> uh, where does the White March fall into the actual gameplay? Is it at the end of the main game? Is it mi- middle? Can you go off whenever you want to do it's it? It's about a third of the way through. Okay. Um, because the content starts at around like 6th or 7th level, okay. um, we didn't want it to be something you could go right to. Right. And we also knew just from talking to people and listening to people, including a lot of press, yeah. is that they said, like, oh, I love the game, I love the game. And we're like, how far did you get? And they're like, like about halfway through. <laughs> and then I, you know, had to play something else or I got distracted, but yeah. I loved it. And, like, and so, you know, a lot of our big RPGs, people kind of get halfway through and then they stop. Right. They still liked it, but they just stopped. Uh, so we didn't want to say, hey, here's an expansion. By the way, you have to have completed the game. Right. To through it. So, um, it starts a little after you get to Cadnoa, after you get your oh, stronghold. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it opens up, and you can go right there. There are also uh, sort of extra high-level areas within it. Okay. So if you have already completed the game and you go in, there's a high-level flag that you can... It'll basically say, hey, you're really high-level. Do you want us to scale this for you? Right. You can say no if you don't want to, but it'll scale it. And then there are places that are specifically for high-level adventurers. Oh, cool. Uh, so if you come in and you're 12th level, and you're just like, oh... I want a challenge right now that you can go to Craigholt Bluff, which is this area overrun with mercenaries, nice. and they're super aggressive. They use a lot of our new AI, which is oh, really cool. Awesome. Because um, that was another thing we saw a lot of people, they said, like, oh, I just wish that the enemies were a little smarter about using their abilities. Sure. So when we did our party AI, yeah. it also improved the enemy AI quite oh, a bit. So. Awesome. So this is part one. How many parts are expected? Two. Two parts. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just two. Easy, easy. Yeah, because we, we, we looked at... Um, we looked at Tales of the Sword Coast is kind of right. hitting, hitting the sweet spot. Sure. I worked on Heart of Winter, which is too short. Um, right. And uh, Throne of Ball is insane. Yeah. It's just, it's such, that, for an expansion that's like... It's a 
Yeah, it's essentially a no sequel. It's so huge. Um, so we're like, well, what's reasonable? It's like Tales of Sword Coast. So that's what we've been targeting. I think we'll wind up maybe being a little bit bigger, bigger probably. than Tales of Sword Coast with both parts. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, I mean, I think it'll feel appropriate. Like, that's a lot of the stuff is that whenever we look at numbers, mm-hmm. space of areas, size areas, number of levels, abilities, it's like, is this IE like? Is this, right. Does this feel appropriate for the things that came before? Right. And when we looked at the expansion, we're like, when you install it and play through it, you have to get a similar feeling. Yeah. So people have expectations for expansions. Like, sure. Especially from you know a decade ago. Like, yeah. When you get an expansion, you want it to feel like you got some some tangible uh, as there. opposed to deal just DLC. Right. Right. I, I think uh, you know we've only seen a few reviews come out, but thankfully they've been very positive, and I think part of that is that people have gotten so used to DLCs, yeah. which are so small and still kind of pricey. Yeah. Um, we really tried to make this feel like a significant uh, addition. Like we wanted to feel like an expansion of right, the world. So right. I think um, I think people will be happy with it. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, and the, one of the last major features, though, is the soulbound weapons. Oh, yeah, yeah. How do those work, and or what do those add, I guess, to the, to the so, game? So uh, we had, in the base game, we had a lot of unique weapons, and some people had complained that they didn't feel either powerful enough or unique enough or they didn't like that they could further enchant them, which seemed kind of strange. Like, I had figured, like, oh, I can keep enchanting my unique weapons and make them even better. But some people were like, no, I want the unique weapon to just be what it is. Right, and, right. Like, you know, if it becomes more powerful, it's not through a sort of systemic way. So, soulbound weapons... Um, like, I had seen a lot of mods for games where they had uh, weapons that leveled up on their own sure. as you use them. So it was based off of that idea. So okay. you find a weapon, and when you find a soulbound weapon in the game, there are only, I think, five of them in part one. Oh, right on. But when you find them, it says, this weapon can be bound to these classes. And then you can click Bind Weapon, mm-hmm. and it takes the place of the enchant button because you can't enchant uh, some weapons. All right. So when you bind it, it binds to that character, and then you unlock a power and you unlock a piece of lore, and then it says, to unlock the next power, do this. And it'll be like, cause X amount of damage, uh, or defeat uh, five druids, or whatever. And then when you do that, you get another power, which is class-based. So okay. if a wizard bound the greenstone staff instead yeah. of a druid, they get a different power. If the monk binds it, they get a different power. Gotcha. And then you get another piece of lore, and then there's a capstone power, and then you get another piece of lore and another thing. So... Um, it's really to make you feel like you invest in a weapon and use it and you think about how you're using it to make it become better rather than sort of upgrading it through a menu. Uh, and then it feels really powerful when it's done. Excellent. And, and as, how long, I mean, basically, will it follow as your character levels in terms of you're going to unlock the final ability towards your max level or is it locked it a little de- faster? I think it depends on how, like, if you're, I guess that's the other thing is that if you're really aggressive about it and yeah. you know the game very well, you can like go and unlock them relatively quickly like oh okay I need to get this many spirits where can I find some spirits I'll go find them Um, and we also included a nice um, one that can be bound by anyone of any class but it's a cursed weapon so um, super special yeah super special and and that one actually is neat because it has more sort of like esoteric ways of unlocking Uh, their power like go it like it gives you a riddle uh and then you have to figure out what the Uh, riddle means and then go to a place and do something and then it unlocks it gives you another riddle Um, and then eventually it unlocks these powers and it's no longer cursed, so you can unequip it if you want to, but it's a very nice weapon. So. Great. 
Well, it sounds awesome. Uh, like you said, part one's out now. Do you have an expectation for part two when that would? This winter. This winter. Yeah, the winter. Yeah, that'll win. The winter is coming. Yeah. Winter's good. The, yeah. the white march is coming in winter. Awesome. Sounds great, and you can pick it up on Steam. I know any of uh, good old games, I believe, yeah, G-O-G-O-G, has it. G-O-G, uh, Origin. Origin. Man Gaming. Great. Pick it up. Thank you so much for your time, guys. Uh, this Thank was you. Josh, Adam, and Brandon from Obsidian Entertainment at PAX 2015. Thank you for listening to Alpha Geek Radio special event coverage of PAX Prime 2015. Check us out on the web at www.alphageekradio.com where you can find shows, interviews, live streams, videos, and event coverage for all things that are Alpha Geek.